I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. And while you're turning there, I will just confess the great privilege that I had to grow up where I did, when I did. Now, I have to also say that it didn't appear, it didn't, I didn't consider it a privilege right away. I grew up in central Montana in the late 70s and, well, in fact, in Wheatland County. Wheatland County, you can guess what the most important thing in Wheatland County is. Between my last year in high school and my first year in college, I worked on a wheat farm in Wheatland County, Montana. And I learned all kinds of important lessons, some some more important than others. I mean, some of the least important ones were like which way you turn a, a nut to loosen it on a bull. And now, one ought to know that. One thought he knew that when he took that job. But uh, I still never forget the look on my boss's face when we were there. I was... We met another farmer and his hired man who happened to be the biggest, strongest guy that our school had turned out in four or five years. And he got on one wrench and I got on another wrench. And we just pulled for all we were worth. And we pulled it and we pulled it and and it just wouldn't loosen. And we could not figure out how something could get that rusty and that stuck. And finally, you know, the, 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 the farmers were they were all jawing and talking over on the side and they took note that we couldn't get this bolt loose and they came over and they they watched us for a moment. <laughs> and then they just burst out in laughter because we were pulling as hard as we could to tighten that bolt. And I don't know still if that bolt is ever off of that or that nut is ever off that bolt. But So some lessons weren't too important, but some were more important. And uh, the fall, that fall in late August, I still remember... Even even in that moment, I said I didn't consider it a privilege, but I, I really did. Even in that moment, it was late August, and we I had been driving a grain truck all day long, and my my little world, the 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 value of the grain in the back of each one of those loads as I took it from the field to the elevator, each load was more than I could conceive of as far as value goes when I was in high school. And they trusted me with it, and I was only 18. And I made several trips, and this last one, I still remember it. The elevator had closed, and so the last couple loads we dumped into their granary. And the, the sun had set in the west, and there was still this orange glow above uh, the dust, and... I had to have the lights on in the truck as I lifted the bed to, to run the grain down into the little basket that augered it up to the uh, top of the, the granary. And uh, the lights were on and the dust was flying. And I still remember that John Cougar Mellencamp was on the radio with uh, singing Jack, Jack and Diane. Here's a little ditty about Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up in the heartland. I mean, you just don't come of age like that. At any point in history, I mean, this was this was a privilege, and even then, I recognized this is really something, you know. Even as he's uh, singing, you know, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. And it just was one of those moments where I realized, you know, this is, I mean, life is precious, and this uh, is a great 
time to be alive. And, you know, the, the opportunity to be part of that little window of a, of a wheat harvest was really important. We're talking this morning about what Jesus says about the harvest. And that was a time, that was the time of the year that everybody in Wheatland County lived for. In fact, <laughs> one could say, well, it was a miserable place to grow up. I'm just going to say that. But during late August and early September, when the trucks were lining up at the elevator, everyone was in a good mood. Everybody was happy. It was the thing that people lived for because what was only potentially theirs became theirs. What they could look out at and talk about all summer long and, and visualize and see, they could see what was coming. But until it got in the truck, until the truck dumped it in the elevator, it wasn't theirs. And when it became theirs, when they claimed it, there was joy everywhere. And I think the same is true as Jesus talks about a harvest. There's joy all around as Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9. And I want you to see the harvest like Jesus sees it. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into His harvest. Here, this is sort of a summary verse of what Jesus has been about in His entire ministry. And it is, in some regard, a transition from the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of the disciples and then the ministry of others. He's inviting other people to participate in what He is doing. That's the invitation. It's just like, just like he, he says in John chapter 20 when He says, As the Father has sent Me, so I am sending you. We are invited by Jesus to participate in what He came to this world to do. And so here in Matthew chapter 9, He frames it in terms that a boy from Wheatland County can understand when He talks about it in terms of a harvest. But I do recognize that I'm not talking to a bunch of farmers. This would be a very different message if I was still back in Wheatland County. And I understand that the, the smells and the sounds and the um, experience of a harvest is not what most of us are used to. I want to show you the roots of kind of where that imagery comes from and why it's important to Jesus. And the first thing, as far as kind of uncovering the roots of uh, Jesus' desire to bring in this harvest, 
in uncovering the, the reasons for that, the first that I would point out is that Jesus is out there. He's out there. And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages. Jesus went. Now that may not seem like a very uh, important or very um, spiritual thing, right? Everybody goes somewhere. Everybody has went somewhere. Jesus went though. The reason I point that out is because that, I think, forms the fabric from which this harvest imagery, from which this desire for the Lord of the harvest to be honored, where that comes from. It is where the compassion of Jesus finds its expression. And I think that it is one of the places where the church of Jesus misses the life of Jesus. Because very e- it's very easy for us, and particularly for me, I'm, I mean, here I am a pastor in a church right this very moment. And that, that's what pastors should do, right? That's where pastors should be. Guess what? That isn't the going of Jesus. What we are doing this morning is not the going. It's not, we're not doing this. Jesus does say he taught in their synagogue, so there was, there was a, some, some time of gathering, but the work of Jesus happened out there. And I just think of all of the things. I mean, Oregon's glorious in the summertime, and most summer times. Not yesterday, we got rained out of our softball tournament. But uh, most of the time in the summer, it's glorious. And I just think of the farmers' markets. I think of you know music in the park. All these opportunities that we have as people of God to be out of here with other people. Like Jesus was. Jesus went. And He went throughout all the cities and villages. He, he made a, a tour. This is a summary statement. Because in the previous sections they say, oh, He cast out demons by Beelzebub. And oh, we've never seen anything like Him healing you know, blind men. And all of these things. So this is a summary statement. Jesus was out there. And so I want from the front of this building to invite you out there this summer into the ministry of Jesus. Jesus went. He went throughout all the cities and villages and this is what He did when He went. He went teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. What Jesus was about was teaching in the synagogues. He was about the Scriptures. That's what He would have been doing in the synagogue. He, he went out with the Scriptures. He went out healing every disease and every affliction. 
His ministry was not merely telling people. It wasn't merely talking. It was loving people. It was meeting the needs that diseased and afflicted people had. That's what he was doing when he was out there. And he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom is interesting because it, it, it puts together two ideas that place Jesus out of step with his world and place us out of step with our world. In other words, Jesus went out of step with the people he went to. Because he went proclaiming good news. There is good news. And what is the good news? That's the Gospel. What is the good news? The good news of the Kingdom. There is a new King. This new King is restoring order. This new King is uh, protecting. This This new King is healing. This new King is establishing His reign in your life. And to proclaim the new, the gospel of the kingdom was to invite people voluntarily to submit to this new king. When all you have to do is read through the gospels to hear people say, we have no king but Caesar. To know that Herod was threatened by this new king. The entire landscape around Jesus, when He went from village to town, they were all about a different King. And so He went simply announcing, simply telling people good news, there is a better King. You see, and that, and if I had to say, why, why does the church gather every Sunday morning? I say we gather to remind each other that there's a better King. That there's a better King whose reign is good for us. Whose reign is is designed to ultimately make us eternally happy. And it is this new King that we remind ourselves of every Sunday whose kingdom we speak about when we're out, we're out showing love to people. We're out telling people that we have a new king. And I mean, there's perhaps never been a better time for that message than right now. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you saw the, the TV this week and all the Comey hearings and all of that, I mean, pretty much everybody is eager for a new king. <laughs> I mean, really. And we have one. Our hope is in Him. Our hope is not in what you saw on TV. It is not that the FBI is going to get it straight or that Russia won't influence American politics or that we'll get somebody else in the White House. That is not our hope. We have the privilege of saying we have better hope. There's good news because there's a new King. And so that's, that's what Jesus did. He went with the Scriptures. 
He talked about the good news of the new king and he showed love and compassion on people who were afflicted and hurting. And he invites us into that ministry. When he was out about town, he saw the crowds. Again, I I just think this is interesting. This little phrase is even included. He saw the crowds. Well, of course he did. Of course he did. They were in his way. He was walking and they were there and he had to walk through them. Of course he did. Why say that? When he saw the crowds. I... I think because Jesus saw them like they were. And I just think about that and think about how few times I see people like they are. I mean, somebody said that I don't see the world like it is, I see the world like I am. And most of the way that I see things is kind of how I want to see it. And here it tells us that Jesus is out the cities and towns, and he saw the crowd. And what did the seeing accomplish? When he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them. So as I think about what, I, what my hopes are for this summer for our church, what my desire is for uh, my myself and my family and for uh, all of us, it's really that we would love people. It's really that we would be out among people loving them in the name of Jesus. And I, I think about that and I just couldn't help but think, why don't people love other people? Why are we indifferent? And I couldn't help but think it's because in part we don't see them like they are. I mean, when I, think, when I look and I see people who have, who have hopes for their children to be happy, for instance, and their children aren't, Makes me sad. When I think of people who don't have anything better to live for than um, somehow accumulating toys that will make them happy, and I think, really? Is that all you have? And there are people who walk around all the time, and I don't see the, the hidden scars. I don't. I don't know about what the doctor has told them the week before. I don't know the the fight that they had with the spouse over the weekend. I don't see those things. I just walk through kind of on my way somewhere else and I don't just stop and see. I think if I did stop and see, I would really have a different level of compassion for people. And that's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus saw and He had compassion. 
It's interesting to me that Jesus did not come as a cultural crusader. He did not come as a worldview warrior to try and somehow transform you know, the culture or the worldview of people. That is not, that is not His agenda. Jesus came to show compassion. To feel what they feel. I mean, this Greek word for um, compassion is, is the word splankna. Which in um, which has to do with really the um, this connective tissue around your intestines. Okay, and that's not probably what they were thinking of, but that's how it's used now. But the idea being that they felt it. They felt for these. Pe- he felt for these people. So Jesus saw the crowds and he felt for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He could look and say, these people are in trouble. The best that they have is not good enough. What they're hoping for will ultimately disappoint them. They're finding their identity in things that can be taken away from them and they will be taken away from them. And again, he uses a Another uh, agricultural image. I mean, you, you guys are, you guys really know, know I'm backwoods. I grew up in Wheatland County, and the, the school um, that was close to, closest to us, our rivals in football, their mascot was the sheep herders. I'm not kidding you. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't take much imagination to see sheep surrounded by wolves completely unable to defend themselves. Or fallen down, unable to get up. Tangled up in wire, unable to free themselves. We had a different little farm episode this week. Uh, we have chickens, and for the first time since we've had chickens, we had a raccoon take some interest in our chickens. And uh, there was a big ruckus one morning, and you know, went out, and ultimately he scampered away. And the, that evening, I was gone, and I came home. Marsh was in the house, and I, you know, walked through the garage, put my stuff away, and I found her in the back with a rake. And she said the raccoon was back. And, you know, I'm just gonna, happy to report we still have chickens. I'm, I'm happy to report we have chickens because we have a chicken lady in our family who rescued and protected our chickens. Because they were helpless. I see no parallel, like chickens without a chicken lady, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there was, they, were, they would have been lunch had she not been out there. And I, I mean, how... I mean, we, we smile at that. And I mean, if you saw her with the rake in hand, you would smile. But the reality is that's how Jesus saw 
the crowd. They have, I mean, they have need of rescue, of protection, of help, of calming them down, making sure that they're um, safe. You see, I just think how frequently we, we join them in getting all riled up. I mean, we're, we don't have compassion on them. And that's what Jesus was noticing about them. It prompted His compassion. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you think about it, that's, that's a big part of what it means to live in a neighborhood or to be part of a team or to be uh, part of a, some association. Is that there are a lot of people around you who don't have someone like you have. Who don't have Jesus to be their Good Shepherd. And so, Jesus went right from there to this. He said the harvest is plentiful. And clearly, He still had in mind the crowds. Clearly, He still could look out at the people saying there are sure a lot of them. And the thing about the harvest that I learned in Wheatland County is the harvest belongs to the farmer. It just isn't the farmer's yet. In other words, it still could spoil. It still could get hailed on. It still could get mold or mildew and still could not be safely in. And here Jesus looks out on the harvest thinking there are people out here and there's a lot of them. It's plentiful. People who belong to My Father. What are we going to do about the people who belong to My Father? I, I think this is interesting that He says this to His disciples. These are the people who came alongside Him who in chapter 10, He sends out. He sends those ten out so that they go to work with Him but he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There just aren't enough people engaged in the harvest to bring it in. See, I just, just want to back up now because if you all look at your neighborhood or you look at your workplace or you look at the um, the children in your child's class, or you look at the um, whatever comes to your mind when you think of looking at a crowd. If you look at them and you think some of them belong to the Father and they're not in, how are they going to get in? What's the answer to that question? The answer to that question is somebody's going to bring them. Somebody's going to invite them. Somebody's going to engage with them. And there aren't enough people like that in their life. And so he says, pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest. See, I think, I think this in and of itself is... Good news. This in and of itself 
tells us that God cares more for the harvest than you do? This tells me that God is eager to do the work. This could have very well have come out like this. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore, go get busy. You guys got to try a little harder. And he doesn't say that, does he? He says, the Lord is really interested in this. This is on God's heart to show compassion to these people. This is, this is what God cares about. So why don't you talk to Him about it? So, because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, pray earnestly. And that's a good translation of this Greek word. This Greek word is just one word that could be pray or plead or beg. Beg God. And I, I'm just going to confess right here that I have not done this like I should. And that I am planning to change that so that I will beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. One of the, what I mentioned earlier that I encourage you to fill out the connection card. One of the things when you fill out the connection card, uh, if you fill out a prayer request, we pray for you at our uh, staff meeting and the elders pray for you. But if you fill that out and enough that the, the church corresponds with you, uh, I put you on my personal prayer list, pray for you every week. And I'm just going to tell you, I haven't been praying this for you like I should. So just beware. I'm going to pray that the Lord would send you out into the harvest. Because that's what it, Jesus tells me to pray. That workers would go out in the harvest. I'm, I'm just going to take a moment because we have, uh, we have a team that has answered this call. We prayed about a team to go to Slovenia and they have, uh, the Lord has sent out some and there is a, to help you with this, there's a prayer calendar out on the table just past the double doors there. If you want to be praying for the harvest and praying for the the people who are being sent into the harvest, you can uh, grab one of those on the way out or find the link on the um, church webpage to it. But the invitation of Jesus is to pray to the Lord of the harvest. You know, it's interesting. It's not just pray for the, the harvest or the people in the harvest. It's pray for the workers to go to the harvest. You know, I... Um, most of you know that I coach softball, and uh, that's that's my entry into the harvest. And I pr- I prayed a ton about that this last winter, as I was my team was forming and we were getting ready. And I wanted uh, I, I want them to be quite successful playing softball, of course. But I did pray, God, this is really about the harvest. This is really about the lives of young ladies and their families and. Um, they're, I'm going to say something, they're 14. And I have had more opportunity in this season than I've had in the last 10 seasons combined to talk about important life and death matters of 
Um, and it's just been, God, God has given me more than I wanted as I prayed about this part of the harvest. And you know what? I think all of us will find that if we're out there. It's just, it's just there and it's kind of under every rock. As you turn over, over every rock, there's something where um, there's something that invites compassion. Let me say it that way. When you see people. And so Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest. And this is, this is so interesting. This is why I warned you about praying for you. Because this, this sounds so pleasant and so official. And pray the Lord of the harvest that He will send out laborers into the harvest. Okay, the, the Greek word for send out is really cast out. It's throw away. Okay, that's, it's used of throwing things overboard of a, sh- of a ship. So, we're praying that the Lord would throw some of us out of what's comfortable and into the harvest. Throw us out of what we're used to. Throw us out of our routines. Throw us out of where we would normally retreat to so that He would propel us into the harvest. That's what Jesus asks us to ask the Father for. That some of us would get the the heave ho. And it isn't just it isn't just sending this is the important thing. It isn't just sending people to Sylvania. It isn't just the the pilots going to China or the Cochrans going to um, with Wycliffe Bible translators. I mean, that has been a traditional view of uh, a church, but the reality is there is a harvest all around us. And the statistics are overwhelming for the, the, the size and the nature of the harvest in the Northwest. I mean, right outside our door is the, the largest, and we, we do alternate depending on which survey you see with the Northeast, but right outside our door is the largest, most unchurched mission field in the Western Hemisphere. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives us. To join Him, not just in the harvesting, but even better, in the asking Him for more harvesters. And the fact that He does tell this to His disciples, I think is interesting. He said to His disciples, who, who one would think, I mean, if anybody should be qualified, right? If anybody should be the harvester, it should be one of the disciples. But He said, listen, disciples, listen, those of you who, have fully, who are fully credentialed, this isn't your job. You can't do this. This is an every hand on deck sort of harvest. This is a round up people to come help us with the harvest sort of operation. I mean, the, the, the farmer that I worked for in Wheatland County, I worked for him that summer between my, my senior year and my first year in college. Two years later, he found himself in this very spot. And uh, I don't know if he'd, he'd lost a hired man that year or what, but he, he called me up when I was at college and said, hey, do you think you could find any time to drive up here 
and drive truck for us while we bring in the harvest because we don't have enough people to bring in this harvest. And he was begging. He was pleading with me for your help with the harvest. And you know, that really is where Jesus is asking you and I to plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. Is that you would see our gathering here as a time when we remind ourselves that we have, that we have a new king. And there's better hope with this new king than there is with the king that everyone else has. That we have the, the word of the Lord and there is, there is peace and, and there is a, a foundation to our lives that other people don't share. We remind ourselves of every Sunday. And then I pray that you will just go out and you'll find places. Maybe it's dinner this afternoon. But look at people. Ask them questions. Listen to their story. Let the compassion and the uncomfortableness of life affect you like it affected Jesus. So that you can pray the Lord of the harvest that other people will join you out there. That's the compassion. The compassionate thing is to pray that God would send out laborers to help proclaim the message of this new king. And so we're going to we're going to continue our worship and we're going to sing and then just a few moments I'm just going to just going to tell you you're going to be prompted to to pray, to do just what this says and um you know, there'll be prompts on the screen and Taylor kind of lead you through it, but I, I want you to know that this is a invitation from Jesus to you to be engaged in the harvest and to do it with compassion and love uh, for the good of the people around us and for the glory of the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help this morning as we think about our lives, think about our schedules, think about the things that um, make us focus on ourselves or make us uh, miss the harvest. Maybe our threshold of our own pain is high enough that we just don't see what other people see and feel what other people feel. So God, I just ask for Your grace to work on us in that level. Because I think that if, if you do that for us, that the praying and the harvesting will happen. And so God, would you help us to have com- the compassion that we need and see the people around us as people to be loved, not people to be feared or people who are different from us. But God, would you make us compassionate, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.